Blog Talk Radio. So another edition here of Suspense Radio Inside Edition. So happy to be back with all of you. Thank you for listening however, wherever, whenever you listen to the show. It's great to have you as a part of it. We want to let you know that we got two great authors today. First, we're going to kick it off with Andrew Grant talking about his book, Invisible. And then we're going to be talking with Cesar Rodina. Uh, that'll be coming up on the bottom of the hour here of the show. I want to remind everybody, of course, that all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books. So make sure you visit KensingtonBooks.com to see what they got going on in the world of publishing. Um, Again, all of our shows will be back here in 2019. You're going to have Beyond the Cover coming here next Tuesday. Jeff and I will be back talking about that. we got some other stuff planned for you. So uh, make sure you check out SuspenseMagazine.com for everything that we got going on. Our latest issue is up, which is the best of 2018. You'll see all of our award winners and all of our recommendations in there. So visit SuspenseMagazine.com to check that out. Well, without any further ado, it is January, and that means that one of our favorite people, not just a great author but a good friend here, is joining us. And his latest book is called Invisible, and it is definitely one that you want to check out. Uh, Andrew Grant has done a fabulous job with this one. So, Andrew, we want to thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing really well, thank you, John. It's always a pleasure to be on the show, so thank you very much for having me. It is. I kind of wish you would write more than one book a year so we could talk more than once. Um, Absolutely. It would be worth doing it just for that. <laughs> we should write some novellas. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we got the book, I believe. We got it like around in October. We kind of checked it out, and then we reviewed it, and then I was revisiting it um, last night. And you you kind of did. It was kind of funny because it's one of those first things that kind of comes into my head is when when you have a book like uh, like you do like with Paul McGrath, and you kind of have that character that is actually like the invisible because he just kind of stands in the shadows. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the you know the idea behind Invisible and what you got going on? Well, thank you very much, and I really appreciate those kind words too, John, so thank you for that. But Invisible, I I really, really enjoyed writing it, and it's it's always fun when you come up with a new character and a new series, because um, I have been writing a series about a police detective in Birmingham, Alabama. I was really enjoying that series, and I I loved the character, and I I thought there were some really fun aspects to him. But um, it just struck me that with with the way that things have been shifting recently, we were really kind of ready for a new, a new kind of hero, you know, a hero that explored, um, you know, I think a lot of people that r- love crime fiction um, are familiar with the idea that you've got, on the one hand, you've got what's legal, <laughs> on the other hand, yeah. you've got what's just and what's right. And there's often a tension between those things. And I've explored it a little bit with my detective character, Cooper Devereaux, but the trouble is if you're actually going to keep your job as a detective, there's only a certain amount that you can do. Um, so I thought it's time for somebody new that can do a little bit more in terms of 
exploring those grey areas between what perhaps is right and what is what, what the law says or what the legal system says. So that was the beginning of the of the of the idea. Um, I wanted somebody that would stand up for the little guy, you know, somebody that would perhaps, you know, if, if you've got somebody that slips through the cracks of justice, as far as the system is concerned, the system's done its job, but justice hasn't been delivered. What are you going to do in that situation? Well, that's where Paul McGrath comes in because he will he will spot those things. He will spot those cases where justice hasn't truly been done and he will take care of it in his, in his own way. So um, it was a difficult process sort of getting it to a point where you could have a guy in a position to do these things. So with Paul, his sort of backstory was that he uh, started out as um, he, he was he was brought up just by his father because his mother died when he was really too young to remember her. And his father was a pacifist and a really successful businessman. So the father was desperate for Paul to join him in the family business. But Paul, when he went through his rebellious teenage years, rebelled by joining the army. And he became a, a military intelligence specialist, which, of course, gives him the, the skills that he's going to need later in, in, in all the adventures that he's going to have in this series. And um, he became very successful, but he always regretted the fact that he'd left things on such bad terms with his father. So he, um, at the end of his, of, the, of, the, of his final tour, he leaves the army, he comes back to New York, and he discovers that something very bad has happened with his father. There's been a trial where the person that, that everybody believes is guilty has somehow escaped on a technicality because some critical evidence went missing at the courthouse. So Paul puts his, his military intelligence skills to use by going undercover at the courthouse. And he chooses to do that by becoming a janitor because mm -hmm. the janitor is kind of invisible. He can go anywhere. He can see everything. He's got security clearance for the whole building. But the nature of society is people often, you know, the lawyers, the judges, the big shots, they might not really notice a guy like a janitor. So he, can, he gives him this total freedom to go everywhere and see everything. And he will spot all of these these little things that are going wrong. And the way I see it is it's a bit like, you know, pulling the thread in a tapestry, you know. So Paul will spot uh, a loose thread somewhere, something that just doesn't strike him as being right. He'll tug on it, and that will eventually unravel a whole, you know, mystery, a whole conspiracy, you know, something that turns out to be a lot bigger than it originally appeared. And Paul will, um, if, if somebody, if, a little, if the little guy has been, been harmed somewhere along the way, Paul will put it right. Mm -hmm. You know, when I first saw I remember like a janitor, I don't know if you ever remember seeing the movie The Breakfast Club, where the janitor comes out and he sits there and he talks to the student. He goes, you don't know you. I listen to your conversations. You don't know I'm there, but I listen. You know, I look exactly. through your lockers, you know. So it's kind of like, yeah, I'm around all the time, but you just never notice me. And, you know, you see all these people when they say how did these guys figure out like what's going on in the white house or what's going on well there's people all around that you have no idea it doesn't have to be somebody from administration it could be the janitor it could be the butler it could be the, the cook the wait staff that just come and go and hear everything and know everything that, that goes on and sees all of those intimate details and so i, I was i thought it was a fabulous idea and i, and I love um, you know the the character, and you know he kind of drags you in. But you know when you started, you know just not creating the the story, but but like the character, it really looked like this story. You really had a lot more 
I guess you want to say like character development that you really went for. Like this is a lot character driven book. Yeah, and I found that um, I, I actually put a lot more um, time and effort and, and, and work into that than um, when mm-hmm. I set out. I, I, I perhaps realized that I was going to have to because um, I, I, I had the idea. I had sort of two points in my in my mind. I had the idea that Paul was in the army, and then Paul became the janitor, and. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started now to write, from A to B. <laughs> exactly, yeah. When, when I started to write, I, I, I originally thought of it as A to B, but then when I started writing, I realized actually it's got to be more like A to you know X or something because um, I have this kind of you know like a kind of golden rule for either writing or, or even when I'm reading um, crime fiction, which is that if you can apply a little test, if you can say, well, why didn't he just call the police? in a certain situation, then really the whole plot falls to pieces because as a reader you have to believe, even though it's going to be perhaps a little bit exaggerated because it's fiction, it's going to be a bit larger than life, you still have to believe that the character would make the decisions that he made in the book, otherwise there's just no point in reading it. And if, if, so, you know, if you get to the point where you say, you know, the character launches off into this, you know, vastly complicated series of events, if you could say to yourself, well, why didn't he just call the police? The whole thing falls apart. There's a brilliant example of it. I don't know if you remember those. Um, it's a sort of silly example, but it, it illustrates it really nicely. Uh, do you remember those movies, the Johnny English uh, movies with Ronan? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, they're kind of parodies of James mm-hmm. Bond. And there's, yes. there's, I think it's the second one. They're, they're in some exotic location. I can't remember exactly where. It's like Hong Kong or somewhere. And Johnny yeah, English, I think somewhere, yeah, yeah, they're having a fight on the roof of a building, and there's this really kind of decrepit-looking set of scaffolding up the side of the building, you know, made out of bamboo, and it, you know, you can just you'd, you'd think if you sneezed, it would fall down, you know. So there's a fight on the roof. The bad guy gets away. He jumps over the side of the building, grabs onto this really rickety bamboo scaffolding, and starts making his way down. And you know that in a normal movie, then the hero would follow him down, and then you'd have all these hair-raising moments where he nearly fell and everything. But in this movie, what Ryan Atkinson does is he just strolls across to the elevator, gets in, rides down to the ground floor, comes out, walks outside, just as the guy's arriving down the scaffolding. You know, and that's, that's, that's the sort of thing I'm aiming, you know, I'm, I'm talking about, because if there's a simpler, less dangerous, more straightforward alternative, you've got to ask, well, why didn't the hero do that? So I found that I really needed to spend a lot more time than originally I'd, I'd, and I'd, I'd uh, sort of anticipated having to do, showing how he goes from this military guy to this really uh, effectively a vigilante. And um, I, I felt that it, it did come together because if you have this real sense, you know, if you talk to people that have been in the military and then try to transition back into civilian life, they, they often talk about this sort of period where they feel a bit like a fish out of water because especially if they joined straight from school, then they've, had, they've only known one life. They've known a life that's, that works in a particular way, that where more or less everybody involved has the same values, the same rules, the same understanding. And then when you pop out into civilian life, all of that is gone, and you have to sort of learn how to behave all over again. So, you know, I, I, I really felt sort of on Paul's behalf, a kind of sense of bewilderment at this new environment that he's in. He thought it would be simpler and safer and more straightforward than his army life. 
but it actually turned out to be more confusing for him because the, not only were the rules different, in a lot of cases he couldn't really even perceive what the rules were. Um, you know, he, he would be coming across things that he thought were wrong at the courthouse. He'd be trying to get the authorities to do something about it and completely misunderstanding. You know, the police department, they have, if you're a detective, you work on the cases your lieutenant assigns you. You, you don't just take action because some guy says that he's picked up on something that he thinks is dodgy, you know. So I, I really felt that that whole arc between... Paul in the army and Paul as the as the janitor written it, it had to be fleshed out a lot more than I'd originally realized and that was in a way really good because it was really fun doing it it was really fun showing that transition and showing that development you know and, and I think it's kind of funny because you've already kind of named this like a series right because you've already called it the janitor thrillers which which, uh. <laughs> which I kind of find <laughs> funny it's like you know because you otherwise you know like Cooper Devereaux and then you had David Travella and, and you know, but now this is the janitor thrillers. So is this, how how long, like, you know, because authors always kind of have ideas, and sometimes they don't fit into the series they're writing, but then they really have to just kind of get it out. So how long has this kind of been percolating with you um, that you decided now this was the right time to kind of stop Cooper and kind of jump in and kind of write Paul? Well, it's been, it's been bubbling away in the back of my mind for a long time because it really unites different kind of different themes and different thoughts from from you know many many years i remember you know right back to being a teenager i remember um i remember i was reading um novels by franz kafka you know the czech author who wrote you know really sort of peculiar sort of surreal books and, never read um, them but i do know the name yes yeah so there's one of his books called the castle and it's a long time since i read it so i'll probably get the details hopelessly wrong but essentially um the people, the hero, lives in this village that's dominated by this castle. The, the king in the castle rules everything, but no one really ever knows what the rules are, who's doing what and why, just all these really peculiar things are happening. But it turns out there's one guy who actually does know everything that's happening. Um, I don't think it's a particularly big part of the book, but it, it resonated with me. And that guy is the hairdresser. <laughs> he cuts everybody's hair in the castle. So none of the people, none of the rulers in the castle talk to one another, but they all talk to the hairdresser. So actually he's the only person that sees the whole picture. And that really stuck in my mind when I was younger. And I remember thinking, you know, remember the days when if, if you worked in an office, there'd be someone would come around with a, with a trolley with tea and coffee and refreshments, you know, and they'd go from department to department. I remember thinking, if I ever work in an office, that's the job I want because, you know, you're going to go from department to department. People will come and chat to you while they're getting their cup of tea. So you'll actually be the only person in the entire company. You know, forget the CEO, forget the chairman. Those guys aren't going to know anything. It's going to be the guy that brings the tea that knows mm -hmm. because he's the only one that sees everything. Mm -hmm. And, of course, by the time I did work in an office, I didn't have people with tea trolleys anymore, so I could no. never do that. But <laughs> it was, well, that would have um, been a nice that. thing, though, right now. Would it have a tea trolley? Wow. That would yeah. be nice. <laughs> I would really like it, yeah. But, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, it was... No. It was it, it was a, you know, I, I'm fascinated by the idea that things aren't as they seem. You know, you've got a guy who might be perceived in a certain way because of his job. Because we do have a terrible tendency, I think, to define ourselves by our jobs. 
you know. Um, a lot of the times if you're at a party or something, you know, people, first thing people will ask you is, oh, what do you do, you know? And um, so your occupation somehow comes to define you, and that shouldn't really be the case, I don't think. And then when you have somebody that does a vital job, like being a janitor, you know, sometimes maybe they deserve more respect than they get. And um, I, I also like the idea that there's people don't do things always just for a reward or for fame or for, you know. And again, growing up, one of the things I was always absolutely fascinated by, kind of obsessed by really, was the, the Scarlet Pimpernel. You know, the mm, idea that you've yeah. got this this aristocrat in England who risks his life and his fortune going to France to rescue people <laughs> during the French yeah. Revolution. And, you know, he had to do all of these, you know, incredibly dangerous, you know, incredibly cunning rescues. And all the time hiding his, his true identity and never taking any credit. Something about that. I, don't, I can't tell you what, but there's something about that that just really grabbed me. So maybe there's an element of that creeping in too. Mm-hmm. Now, and uh, you know, like you mentioned, of course, you know, Cooper Devereaux series was set in Birmingham, Alabama, and you really made the setting like a second kind of character in the book. Now, this book, Invisible, doesn't really lend to that notion where you know the setting is more of a character. It doesn't. It's not really like that. So, what kind of thing will like um you know what kind of other things maybe will your readers see that was a little different, Andrew Grant and Invisible than you know, just like from your last series? Well, I think um, it, that's a really good question. It's quite, quite a hard one to, to answer, but I think probably what I would hope would be, you, you, you were mentioning at the, at the beginning about how this is really a very kind of character-driven series. You know, a lot of what yeah, happens very derives from Paul's sense of, of right and wrong and, you know, his, his sense of morality. You know, he's a hugely moral person. And yet, you know, he breaks the law right and left. So I think that the, the, one of the interesting things there is going to be the idea of, um, for first of all, how you see the world through through Paul's eyes, and secondly, how the you know you, you you might you know there are certain things I've got I've got ideas for, for for future books where I hope there'll be issues that that people will will stop and think about and say well you know on the one hand it seemed really straightforward but actually looking at it maybe there is more to this than we than we thought that you know there is another side to the story so I hope that those things will come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean you you can see that you know just just from the writing style alone that you know you've. It, it, You've kind of evolved yourself, you know, writing-wise. I thought that this, I thought that this book was a little. It was a while. It was a thriller. The pace was just. It was not quite as fast as a Cooper Devereaux, but the story didn't lend to that to be that way. So it was a little more in the suspense realm where you kind of wondered what was coming behind the door. And I was wondering, you know, did you do that as a conscious decision or did when you just started writing kind of like halfway through, maybe you made it notice that like, oh, you know, it is more like a suspense build to kind of see what's going on. Yeah, I think it was, it's, the, it's the second one there. I think it's more that it wasn't a conscious decision when I set out, but during the process of writing I did become – kind of conscious that that was what was happening. I think that happens a lot with writing, really. I think that it's a strange mixture of things, decisions that you make consciously and subconsciously, you know, what we were talking about before about the conscious decisions about what I wanted a character to be like. You know, you have to make those decisions deliberately. But then when you start putting it on the page, that's when 
those more subconscious things come through, like you were saying about the, the pace and the elements of the suspense. And I think the other mm-hmm. thing that, that perhaps came out a little more um, w- w- with this book is, you know, this is also, as well as being about the hero, it's also about the victims. You know, it's about the, the effect right. that the, the crimes have on, on people. And in order for that to work, you need to know a little bit more about the victims and understand them a bit better and be a little bit more involved in their lives. So I think if you're going to do that, if you're going to bring in, you know, if you're going to add a few more layers to those other characters, that in itself is going to uh, have an impact on the pace of the book because it can't just be all about the hero charging through at 100 miles an hour, you know, with, with bullets flying and, and, and so on. You know, it, you, you've got to, um, if you're putting in a little more time to flesh out those other characters so that people feel more for them and, and worry about them and, and are concerned about them and because you know if you if, if the whole idea is that paul is out there um put, taking care of people if you don't care about those people then why would you care what paul's doing so you know yeah. i think that also automatically impacts the um the, the pace and, and so on even even if you hadn't set out to do that i think it's an it's a kind of automatic byproduct of that mm-hmm. yeah i mean um that, that was definitely uh, something that, you know, a, a little bit more uh, emotional side, like you said, like, like dealing more with the victims. And so I, I was kind of wondering, you know, what character, secondary character that you wrote really kind of surprised you in that way that you're already kind of thinking they're going to have a bigger voice maybe in the next book? Yeah, well, uh, that's, that's, again, that's a great question. Thank you. And it's always fun when you're, you've got like half an eye on, on the next book. And uh-huh. there was a character who, um, who I brought in at um, you know, a certain point during, during this story, the guy John Robson, who his path had briefly crossed with Pauls during their time in the army. Um, and so, so John comes in and he plays a role toward the end of the book. And um, I really enjoyed him. I thought he was a fun character. When I saw that, I was like, you know, he didn't have to put the sun on the end of it. He could just call him John Robb if he wanted to. That would have been fine <laughs> with me. You know, that would have been okay. But, but yeah, yeah. So I, I and, and so when you were kind of, so when you kind of brought him out, and you kind, of, you know, I'm, I'm always fascinated about the creation of secondary characters because those are the ones to me that always drive the story. And the villains, love villains. Villains are my favorite. So when you started to kind of create and you kind of go about, I mean. Characters like that just kind of pop up. I mean, because you don't really outline. You're very organic kind of when you write. So when kind of is the time that you kind of, you know, introduce characters, and then all of a sudden, you know, you kind of keep going, and then you realize, wow, he's like in half the book now, and he had kind of like no idea. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's wonderful when that happens. And, you know, yeah. I think, you know, it's a lovely surprise for, for you when you're writing as well as, as, when, as when you're reading. Um, but I think it's something that you have to be really, really careful with because secondary characters have to justify their position in the book as characters in their own right. There's a real danger that, you, that people can use them um, really as plot devices. You know? um, you, you've got a main character who needs access to all kinds of information. So there's a secondary character who has a photographic memory and at the drop of a hat can produce any fact or any, you know, something like that. 
you know, if you're not careful, it becomes very mechanical and it becomes, oh, well, this other guy's just there because he, you, you need to, a, a shortcut to getting this information, you know. So you've got to make sure that any characters that you bring in, you, you would want them to be there just because they're really interesting characters, regardless of the role they play in the, you know, solving the crime or rescuing the, the, the victims or whatever it might be that, that, that the end goal is. So, um, you know, I certainly put some, some thought into that, that Robson character. And I thought that um, it's, one of those, it's one of those times when you're writing that you just, things just work out for you because it's setting up the whole, there's, there's, there, in the book there are references to some things that go on in, um, in Azerbaijan, um, one of the former Soviet republics. And um, there's talk about, uh, it just naturally emerged, like you say, through the sort of organic process rather than a kind of outlining thing. It was that um, Paul had almost got sent to Azerbaijan when he was in the army, but in the end someone else got sent in his place. So there's some stuff going on that's already established that there was a guy that went to this place and did, did some of these things. And then as I was writing, it just became... It, it just became obvious to me, well, what you need is for that guy to come back and cross paths with Paul. And so, um, you know, I found, a, I found an opportunity to, um, to write that scene, and then it, was, it just was natural from there that the, the two would start working together. So, um, yeah, Robson is definitely coming back. Sorry about the misnaming part, though. <laughs> That's all right. Okay, you, you can fix but, it next time. Um, next time, but, yeah. <laughs> and, um, so, I mean... I guess, you know, when you always look to the future, I mean, you're working on book two, I guess, right now of the series, right? Yeah. I mean, is that where yeah. you're at right now? It is, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly fairly well on with, with book two. Uh, I've got to get that finished and into my editor by um, end of March. So, uh, you know, it's uh, But you're it's not well going to abandon Cooper, are you? I don't want to. I um, I really was enjoying writing, writing Cooper. Um, but, you know, this is partly one of those things that's based on... Um, on what readers want, you know, what, if, if people really respond to the to the, um, the Paul McGrath series, the janitor, then I guess that's where I'll I'll put my effort. I mean, what I'd love to be able to do is, is to do um, both of them in parallel. Um, so we'll you know we'll see that whether that good. might be possible. But um, you know, for the for the time being, my um, my focus is, is really all on on the janitor and trying to get that series up and running, you know, because, you know, everybody dreams of having one of those long, you know, sort of 15, 20 sure. book series. So I'd love it if, um, if, if he's struck enough of a chord with, with people that um, I get the opportunity to do that. And any standalones in the way? I mean, I know that, you know, your very first book, Run, was a standalone, and then you kind of hit the series. But do you have anything uh, percolating maybe down the road a couple years that you uh, want to get out like that? Yeah, I do. I've got one book. Um, that um, you know, that there are some, some seeds in the back of my mind for one. Um, that um, may, you know, may. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's a question of time. If, if, if I have time to, to give it, you know, to, to devote enough time to it to, to do it justice, then I do have an idea for another standalone that I think could be very fun. But um, not sure when I'll be able to slot that one in at the moment. But um, yeah, I think it could be. I think it could be great. And it's again, it's something that's been that's been mulling away at the, at the back of my mind for a long time. Awesome. Well, Andrew, we want to thank you so much as always of coming on. You know, 25 minutes a year is not long enough. So hopefully we're able to catch up at at Thriller Fest and sit down and have a dinner and you know, sit and relax and talk and, and you know, and catch up some more. But um, again, congratulations on the book. Wonderful book. Uh, love the new series. So I can't wait to see like what you got coming out next January. 
Um, I'm sure that'll probably be the date. <laughs> so <laughs> why so, don't you yeah. go ahead and give everybody, you know, your social media and all the places they can kind of catch up with you. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, if you if if you're interested in more info, um, I have a website which is andrewgrantbooks.com. Uh, got an issue with my parents who are giving me such a common name that it's hard to <laughs> hard to get a, no, a distinctive website. So it's andrewgrantbooks.com. Um, I'm on Facebook as Andrew Grant Author, and on Twitter as Andrew underscore Grant. So um, I'd love to hear from anybody if they've read the book, if they're interested in any part of it, any queries, any questions, any feedback, please do get in touch. All right, Andrew. Hey, you have a good one, my man. Always a pleasure again to talk to you. You guys stay good. Tell Tasha I said hello, and I will email her so I can get up, uh, those medieval books. <laughs> Fantastic. I will let her know. All right. You have Thanks, a good John. one, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, John. Looking forward to it. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. So again, everybody, that is author Andrew Grant. Make sure you run out and you get the book Invisible. It is out now. Fabulous book. First book in a new series. You can kind of check out and see you know, what Andrew's about. And then I recommend highly that you go get um, Cooper Devereaux. You can start with False Witness um, and, and jump, or False Positive as the first one and kind of jump into that series too. So andrewgrantbooks.com is his website. So make sure you check that out. We are going to be right back, and we are going to be back here with our next guest, Cesar Rodana. Hopefully I said his last name correct. Uh, his, his newest mystery series um, is called Life Through a Mirror, and we will be talking with him in just a second. So in the meantime, here you go.
So welcome back, everybody, after the break. Again, we want to thank Andrew Grant for joining us on The Book is Invisible. So fabulous. Make sure you check that out. So we are pleased we've never spoken with uh, this author before, and his name is Cesar Rondina. So I make sure I got that right off the air, so I did say it wrong, but thank you for Cesar for telling me. And like we said, the first book uh, in a new mystery series, and it is called Life Through a Mirror. So we want to thank Cesar for coming on. So Cesar, thank you so much. How are you doing today? Good, John. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing good. Uh, I was really happy when your publicist emailed us, and we were able to kind of jump in because I never really, I didn't really know this was coming out. I mean, you know, we get so many um, uh, emails, and so, you know, we always kind of check them out. And then I looked, and I go, oh, you know, because I'm a huge mystery person. Everybody knows that mysteries are like my bag of tea. I mean, I really love the mystery aspect. So, I was like, yeah, I, you know, any time that I see, like, these kind of mysteries, I always want to jump into them. And I was really pleased when, like I said, when we were emailed for it. So I was really excited to be able to talk to you about your latest venture here, Life Through a Mirror. So why don't you tell everybody about what you got going on? Well, yeah, no problem, John. I'd love to. Life Through a Mirror is a three-book murder mystery series. And Life Through a Mirror itself uh, is the first in the three-book series. The second book is going to be released, uh, The Battle Rages On, in February. And then the final book in the series will be released in May, When Murder Calls. Um, it's kind of interesting the way this came, came about, because I've always wanted to write a murder mystery series, you know, versus an individual love story and an individual crime uh, thriller or something like that. Um, and, and what was great about it is the challenge was just fantastic, because when you start the third, the first book, you have to think about the end of the third book. <laughs> this way you yeah. don't get yourself off track, you know. Um, but really the thought came about, um, just a little bit about me really, really quick. I, I had 30 years experience as a paramedic in a large metropolitan inner city uh, environment. So mm-hmm. I've been on numerous crime scenes, uh, testified in many, many murder trials and uh, other types of trials as well. So my goal in, in writing this book was, to create a very realistic, although in a, a fictional background, um, account of what court cases really you know are like, what crime scenes are really really like, what type of investigations are done, and then build my character based in supportive characters and so on and so forth along the way. Um, the other interesting part about this is, believe it or not, um, in my career in 30 years as a paramedic, I've cared for like 76,251 patients. It's kind of wild. It's just a, a number I've always kept track of for some crazy reason. <laughs> I was going to say, and, how the hell did you remember that number? <laughs> well, you know, I got to tell you, man, it, it, it's anybody who works in um, the police service, fire service, I'm a retired firefighter as well. You know, we all kind of keep track of different things. You know, how many people unfortunately had a pronounced bed, how many babies are delivered, I just always wanted to keep track of how many people I took care of in, in my total career. So I just always kept track of that number. Uh, that was always a pet peeve for me. So, you know, let's say I've taken care of 76,000 people. I've heard pretty damn near close to 76,000 stories, you know. Um, so actually, the, uh, each story, each mystery in, in each one of these books, is an individual murder mystery, and the character developments and the sub-characters develop across all three books. So really you have a uh, murder mystery series and a romantic murder mystery series kind of all in one as you follow Allie and David as they go through their life 
across each one of these murder mysteries. Now, so, what I thought... So, so that, oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, John, go ahead. No, 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 keep finishing. I thought you were finished, so keep going. Yeah, I know. So it, I, I just found it very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, when I was listening to Andrew Grant, who's uh, uh, an excellent speaker, um, you know, speaking the way, you, you know, how we develop characters and, and sub-characters and so on and so forth. You know, when I wrote this book, um, I have a kind of a unique style of writing. I, I kind of write like it's just me and somebody else sitting in the room talking, you know. Um, if I have to write a collegiate paper or a medical paper, well, that's the time they have to be prim and proper. But you know what? When you're writing a book or a murder mystery series, you, gotta, you, you have to tell it like it is. So the beautiful part about these books is there was no outline to them whatsoever. Uh, each book just developed on its own, on its own, as I was writing it, and I just think that added a lot to the to the genuine story content. What 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 I find fascinating is is that at the beginning, because I did not know, is that you already set this up as a three book series, which means that you kind of already kind of have that pace set in mind. Um, so when did you decide that you wanted to make this like a three book series? Because, uh, you know, when you, when you start thinking trilogies, you start thinking, you know, kind of epic adventures and things of that nature, you don't really think of them in murder mysteries. So that's kind of an interesting idea. So how did that kind of formation come about that you were like, this is going to have to be a trilogy, I think. Well, you know, um, to be honest with you, John, it's, you know, believe this book, Many each one of the murder mysteries, believe it or not, um, is an offshoot of three different types of calls that I've been on. So, although it's a fictional story and the characters are obviously fictitious, um, the events are actually pretty real. And as soon as I started the first book, I said, you know what, this has got to be a series because I immediately thought of three individual accounts of calls that I were on that were murders. Um, that were real, obviously. And I said, you know, I could really tie these things in together and really develop the characters along the way. And one of the things that I wanted to do, because I, I think one of the things that's missing um, in a lot of writings today, and this is not taking anything away from any other uh, great authors out there, I think all authors are great, that's not easy what, what we do, is you never know how you're audience wants to end up. Some people like closure. Some people like it open-ended. Some people like to wonder, is there going to be another book? So I wanted to end each book where I could go from one step to the next. And the way I ended the third book, if I wanted to add a fourth book, if it was a successful series, I most certainly can, the way they were written. So I really wanted to tie in the, the mystery with the romance. And, you know, murder mercies are great, and I love that you know, white knuckle on the edge of the seat, like who done it, uh, where's it coming from? But when you do that, oftentimes you lose the character base. You lose the connection between the reader and the people. And, and I think there's got to be a definitive connection to the people in order for them to appreciate the story. So the story enhances the characters, the characters enhance the story. And hopefully if the writer did a good enough job, you have a good book when it's done. Well, you know, so so let's get into it. So so tell us a little bit about Allie and David. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's funny. Allie and David are two characters that were both uh, born and raised in New England. Uh, I'm from New England, so I kind of like why I picked that area. And they only lived a couple of towns apart from each other, but never met. 
Now, anybody who knows New England will know that the towns could be relatively close together, but there's a lot of distance. And these and people in these towns are very, very private, and they really don't know a lot about the neighboring towns. So Allie and David both come from towns in New England. They both took different paths. Um, Allie, due to her upbringing, bringing and being abused as a child and so on and so forth, got into prostitution. She got into being a high-paid escort. Um, you know, she just wasn't one of these, you know, barroom girls that was you were just going to pick up for a $10 bill. So she was, you know, pretty high class. David moved on and went into New York and became a defense attorney. And what wound up happening is uh, Allie was framed for a murder and did 10 years for manslaughter. And David went into the city and got himself involved with drugs, alcohol, got himself involved with the mob, was doing gambling, the whole routine, uh, racketeering, and wound up uh, getting disbarred. So David wound up having to come back home and back to New England because he had nowhere to go. He had no job. No one would hire him. He lost his privileges to practice law. Allie, on the other hand, now comes back to her hometown when she's released from prison after 10 years, Nobody wants anything to do with her because as far as they're concerned, she was a murderer and everybody was afraid of her. So she had to make some life changes. So she ended up moving to a neighboring town, which happened to be the town that David grew up in. And as the story develops, she meets up with uh, David's mom. Mom gives her a job, gives her a break, gives her a chance to better herself. And then David winds up meeting her through her mother. And then from there, their relationship slowly and kind of mysteriously starts to develop. And then David becomes part of helping Allie clear her name. And Allie also becomes part of helping David get his privileges back to practice law. But when all of this is happening, there is another murder that takes place that Allie is accused of. So now Allie is now rearrested for murder because of her past history. Obviously, they're going to throw the book at her. And now the rest of the book revolves around David defending her and trying to get her cleared of the first murder and so on and so on. And all the sub-characters come in. The rest of the family begins to grow. The crime family and the mob gets into the story, and it just progresses from there. Wonderful. So now, so, so, so when you – I mean, I, trilogies are, are one of my favorite kind of series because I love – but one of the things I love to know when I'm getting involved in a trilogy is – is that I always kind of know that, that the ending is near, that, that there's something coming up, and that that's kind of like an anticipation for me from you know as a reader with the author to kind of connect with you to kind of say, okay, what you got going for me now? Because an ongoing series, there you know you might have a book or two books in a row where you know there's really not any surprise, there's really not any. It's just the story, you know what I mean? You just kind of get the story. So how did you kind of want to make sure that you build this tension? Just in this book, because the first book in the series is always the setting of the stage, where the second book is always the explosion and all the shit falls apart. In the third book, you got to put everything together. So, is that kind of how you 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 kind of envision this going? Um, actually, uh, almost quite the opposite, to be honest with you, Don. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I thought about that, and, and was, honestly, this was my first trilogy. So, I was being an experienced author. I was relatively relatively inexperienced with writing a trilogy. So I said, well, I got to do some polling. So I went out to my, um, my Twitter platform, my Facebook platform, my inter, uh, Instagram platform, and started doing a bunch of polling, asking a bunch of questions, getting a bunch of ideas from my readers. 
And on my website, I have a, about a 3,400 and change uh, reader base that follows my blog post every Thursday. So I sent out bulk emails, wanted to get opinions, and kind of put this whole thing together. And I said, okay, now that I have a general idea of what the readers are looking for, now how, am I gonna, how am I going to make this happen? So what winds up happening in each one of these books is we all know the structure of a book. We have the rise, we have the peak, we have the fall. Now, yeah. part of the fall of this book is setting up the introduction for the second book without giving away what the second book is about. So you start bringing in characters that are going to be involved in the second book, which, you know, you tell just a little bit about them, but not a lot about them. So you kind of, you know, keep people wondering what the the deal is. So because each book is an individual murder mystery in itself, I had to kind of cultivate the culture of bringing in the next book towards the end of the first book while solving the mystery in the first book, yet bring in the characters, but yet end the book in a way where everybody's left hanging as to what's going to happen. And that all ties in with the introduction to the second book, and then that brings us into the second book when it comes out. So it's now, really a pretty interesting, an interesting concept to play with. Now, how many papers did you have to throw on the ground? Because that is an intricate way to have to do it by solving the first part, bringing into the second part. So you're having to build you, – you've just stopped all the tension, but now you're having to bring us new tension to roll us you know, kind of into book two. So how many shredded pieces of paper did you have to go through to make sure you got that part right? Well, it, 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 I'll, I'll leave your listeners to choose whether they want to believe this, but I could tell you that I would start my day at 8.30 in the morning and many times be writing still at 2 or 2.30 in the afternoon. And, you know, everybody writes, every author writes a little bit differently. Um, sure. And, and I'm, I'm an interesting kind of a writer. If I sit down at the computer and it's not there and I'm not feeling it, I don't write that day, you know. I don't want to force myself to go into a writer's block type of situation. I don't care if it's 4 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. If I get up and I get an idea, I'm up and in my office and I'm writing. Um, So whenever I sit down to write, the ideas are really, really flowing. And, you know, I can't even tell you how many times this book started out one way and then I changed it. I mean, that happened so many times. It was phenomenal. Um, but again, it was a learning experience for me, and it was a wonderful learning experience because from this, I got an idea for a private investigator series that I'm writing now for 2020. So oh, the concept of put this, yeah, I just you guys I, never I, stop, I man. Kinda, Authors never stop. It's like, oh yeah, I was writing this book and got an idea for another one, so I'm starting to do that one too. <laughs> yeah, well, I usually publish about three to four books a year, you know, so. Um, I, I, you know, I got quite a few out there, but, but I really got to tell you, man, I really dug doing this trilogy because it was just such a challenge to keep everybody kind of like hanging, resolve one thing, but then add something else into the mix. And now they got to wonder where that's going and then leave that cliffhanger right at the very end, mm-hmm. you know, which tells them that's going to be the second book, you know? And then, you know, it obviously developed the characters over three books. That's why I said when I started writing this book and I decided it was going to be a three-book trilogy, 
I'm writing the first book, but I'm thinking about the end of the third book, you know? Yeah, and with the trilogy, you can kind of you can kind of bring characters along a little slower than if it's just one book where you kind of have to make sure that you get it all down and get it done, be, you know, while the book is going. But you can kind of introduce characters in kind of a little different way within the trilogy. So that's one of my next question was like I just asked Andrew about secondary characters because those are my most fascinating ones because those are the ones who really pull out the story. They're the ones who really bring it all together. So which kind of secondary character for you in this first book do you think will now have that larger role going forward with the series that maybe you didn't think would have that when you started? Well, uh, actually, it's, an, it's, it's actually an homage figures, and it's, it's one of the guys, uh, name is, is Logan Miller, um, because uh, I've had so many, I had 24 beta readers read this first book, and one of the, the questions that I asked them before the book came out is, when did you figure out who actually murdered the girl that Allie was accused of murdering the second time? And I didn't want that figured out till, till the very, very end of the book. And I have to tell you, 23 out of 24 of them did not figure it out until exactly when I wanted them to, when, when I planned the book out as I was writing it. So the beautiful part about this book is all three of them actually is, first of all, every murder is very realistic and very possible. These are not murders that you're going to hear about or read about in a sci-fi type of thing. These are things that, well, because they've actually happened, because they were calls I was actually on, obviously I've twisted them um, to adapt them to what I need. Um, but they're very, very realistic murders. Any one of these murders in these three books could happen and actually has happened. And like I said, um, as people read this book, they are not going to know until the very end who actually did it. And there's many people that could have done it, you know. So it's just a matter of creating many, many subplots, but yet not getting so far away with each subplot that you get away from the main base of the story. So it was a lot of fun to write. I got to say the truth. Nice. And now the the other thing, for a lot of listeners, you know, the fans, they might not understand the term, and, and I just thought about this, and so I, I wanted you to just kind of explain. So when you say beta readers, um, you know, those are people that you kind of give the book to early that could be fans or could be family members or could just be, you know, whoever, people that you just want to kind of have an idea. So how did you kind of, you know, start getting those readers together? So for like newer authors that are kind of out there figuring out, you know, how can they kind of get those 24, 25 voices in their head uh, for the author to kind of, you know, uh, you know, formulate these books? How'd you well, do it? Very, very simple. It, it, it first starts with what I think my concept of what a writer should be. And I, I see any writer or author as being a triangle. There has to be one side of the triangle is the connection of the author to what he or she is writing. Then the bottom leg of the triangle has to be the connection between the book and the reader. And the one last side of the triangle that seems to be missing in so many cases is the connection of the reader back to the author. If the reader doesn't get the author, doesn't know about the author, doesn't understand the author, a lot of 
of what the author is trying to say in a book could be very easily missed. So I am very proactive and very open, especially on my website. Um, I'm an open book. There's so much about me on there that people could really tell pretty much the way I am. And how I started doing this is I actually put an invitation out on my website saying, if anybody would like to be a beta reader, and and what a beta reader actually is, as you, as you uh, correctly stated, it's somebody that pre-reads your book. Um, and I don't use family and friends, although I, I will admit I do use my sister because she's my largest critic, and I know when she tells me something, it's the truth. But a lot of times family and friends, they don't want to hurt your feelings. So they tell you the book was great. So I use all strangers. And I wound up with about a 625 base worth of people that were interested in being beta readers. So obviously at that point, I have to send them out a disclaimer because they have to sign a disclaimer that they're not going to talk about the book, so on and so forth. And then I picked two dozen. I picked 24 for every single book that I write, every single one. And they get the manuscript. And they have two weeks to read it, and it's all about honesty. Don't worry about hurting my feelings. I'm a big boy. I got broad shoulders. I'm six four, two eighteen. I could take the hit, you know. So yeah. I want to know if I miss something. If if I'm not, if you're not getting it, tell me. And you know what? As a, as a, an author, I have learned many many years ago. Any author that does not listen to their readers is making a huge mistake, because. It's so easy for us as writers and authors to get tunnel vision in what we're writing, and we reread it and we read it and we read it so many times that that's why we have editors because we'll read right over multiple spelling errors, you know. So I sent this book out as I do all my books, and I got everybody's input back, and I look at what might be the common theme or the common, I don't want to call it complaint, but list of suggestions, and then I work on that. Um, because I want the reader to get what they want and the message that I'm sending in the book. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an excellent tool for any new writer, and I've been writing for many years now, and I do it on every single book that I write. Yeah, I mean, it, and and that's the one thing that you that you said was very important too. We always tell people you got to have some, th you know, some thick skin because you want that criticism and you want those people to tell you what's what's good and what's bad. And you know, editing is a huge part. And I think there are a lot of self-published authors out there and people that just don't understand. You know, they just don't understand that that editing process is really the most important part of of, a, of getting a really good book out there. And you can just tell, like, you know, the the care and the, the 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 attention to detail that you're putting in, you know, to your book in this series, and and you kicked it off great with, you know, with this newest one. So it's going to be great to see kind of what you got coming up uh, in the future. Yeah, and you know, and the other thing I do with this this trilogy, which I thought, uh, which I wanted to do, um, is I had uh, each book is made into an audio book, and uh, I have to say, uh, I found yeah. the most fantastic gal you know, to, to do the narration on this. And because audiobooks are huge, you know, we're, we're living in a different society, a different world today. You know, people are working two jobs. They don't they have hour commutes back and forth to work. They don't just have time to sit down and read all night long. So all of this, this whole murder mystery series is also an audio book format, as well as obviously ebook and print as well. Um, me, I'm a hands-on guy. I like to hold a book in my hand. Um, I'm kind of an old school dinosaur when it comes to that. I love but Kindle. Was, okay, I'm not gonna lie. I love the Kindle. I would rather walk around with 1,500 books in my little device on my phone than 1,500 books in my hand. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's just me, though. You know, when it's when the summertime comes and I'm, you know, I'm sitting on the back of the boat and I just, I like to open up a, a book and read it sure. page by page. You know, yeah. it's just, uh, it's it's kind of relaxing. You know, but unfortunately, I write so many books every year. I don't have as much time to read as many as I would like to, but. Uh, it's a lot of fun, but, you know, e- either way, I, I read as much as I can when I can, you know. But this yeah. this really was, I have to say the truth, it, it, in, in all my years of writing and all the books that I've published, this, this was really a very enjoyable experience for me to, 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 to do a trilogy. And you, you're not only thinking for what you wrote today, you're thinking for what you wrote three days ago and what you're going to be writing three days from now. And into the second and into the third book and, and the way they're going to transition from one to the next to the next so that reader wants to read the next one. It, it's, I found it quite challenging and a lot of fun. Nice. And hopefully I was successful because the reviews that have come back on, on, on the books are fantastic. So I, I, I'm thinking that I did something right. <laughs> well, why don't you let everybody know the best place for them to contact you, social media, website, all that fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely, John. Um, my website page is www.cesarrondinaauthor.com, and I'm on Facebook by Caesar Rondina Author. I'm on Instagram as Caesar Rondina Author, and I'm Twitter at Caesar Rondina. No author, they don't give you enough characters to put all that much in there. So, yeah. and I'll spell that in case anybody's not uh, familiar with it, because Caesar could be spelled a lot of different ways, but it's C A E S A R. R-O-N-D-I-N-A. And the one thing I, I do want to impress, um, and I'm a firm believer in this, John, I actually volunteer at, at a local school where I live once a month with a, a writing and literature book club. I just kind of believe in helping our, our young people get into these and develop these skills. Um, if anybody ever has any questions, you know, I answer my own e- e- emails. Nobody on my staff answers emails for me. Uh, I believe in that personal one-on-one contact. So if anybody ever has any questions, if you're a new writer, aspiring writer, um, I have many book tutorial, writing tutorials on Udemy.com. But if you have any questions, by all means, go to my website, send me an email, and you'll hear back back from me shortly. That's great. Well, hey, Steve, we want to thank you so much for coming on, man. It has been an absolute joy to talk with you. Wish you nothing but the best in the series. Can't wait to see what you got going on for book two, and uh, we will talk with you then. All right, John. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. You have a good one. You too. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye. So, again, everybody, that is author Cesar Rondino, and you want to make sure you check out the book Life Through a Mirror, and it is available um, coming in February. So you're able to find the book in February. You can get the pre-order now. But Life Through a Mirror, it is book one in his latest uh, mystery trilogy. So make sure you go check out that Cesar Rondino, Life Through a Mirror. We want to thank you all for joining us uh, today again. We want to thank Andrew Grant for coming on to speak about Invisible and the first book in his new series. So we've got two authors, two new series, two new books for you to go check out. So we, uh, you know, we invite you to go do that. Again, uh, join us. Beyond the Cover is going to be coming back here shortly next week. And everything else is going on, so... Visit SuspenseMagazine.com, download the latest issue of our Best Of 2018, and you got about, I don't know, 100 other books in there you can go check out. So until next time, everybody, want to say thanks so much. Keep reading. See you all next time.